RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. We're going to talk natural medicine now on Reality Check Radio. Some of you might have caught up with the news that um, Well Park College has uh, closed and uh, that was a well-known sort of uh, name in the sector. And to talk about the sector's history and where it's all at now is Erin Hudson, who is a herbalist, and uh, she joins me at Reality Check Radio. Nice to have you, Erin. Thanks for coming on. And thanks for having me, Paul. Okay, so where do we start with um, natural medicine in New Zealand officially? Where's the line in the sand? Well, the line in the sand was drawn by one particular college, the South Pacific College of Natural Therapies at the time. Right. And that was back in 1967. And the okay. reason, yeah, the reason we know it goes that far back is that all of the archives, all of the photographs, all of the deeds for the um, you know, land and buildings that they bought and everything they did was, you know, in one of those massive boxes. So going back and finding out that in 1967, um, actually in K Road, uh, they started teaching um, informally. It was like whoever wanted to learn, whoever wanted to teach. Um, But one particular person called Dave Duggan, which lots of people will remember in um, old Auckland CBD, he ran an acupuncture and a naturopathic clinic. And so he, Dave Duggan, became in 1970 the president of this fledging college that decided to be a little bit more formal about the training that they were providing. And interesting, Sir Dove Meyer Robinson was actually the first patron. Wow. Okay. So I don't know how far back you can remember Dove Meyer, but he was very anti-fluoride. Very, I, did, very, I didn't know that, but I, yeah. I certainly remember him being a, a you know a character not only out of Auckland but sort of on the national stage. He was anti-fluoride. That's interesting. Very, very outspoken. So, so Dove Meyer and Dave Duggan were of a, a similar age, um, and they definitely you know had good conversations. And also throwing into that mix, funnily enough, was Bill Anderton. Oh, the unionist. Yeah. So Bill Anderton. Um, he had a link to do with Roger Douglas. And of course, Roger Douglas's sister, Sue Woods, she was one of the teachers at that college for Wow, herbalism. I didn't know that. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> so that's when I start saying things like, yes, it's all in the book. And literally all of these little intricacies of, you know, a very small Auckland in those times meant that people knew each other. They, you know, they they got on board with each other. And, and once K-Road was established as kind of like, let's learn about natural medicine and natural treatments, Something happened that got things really moving, and that was 1981, Nambasa Festival. Ah, yes, the Nambasa So Festival, lots yeah. of groovy hippies went to Nambasa and massaged in tents and did all sorts of, um, you know, introducing the idea of natural medicine. I don't think it was quite how the, the naturopaths thought it was going to be, but they definitely sort of launched themselves at that point. And then they decided, well, we're not going to be using other people's rooms. We're not going to be paying out rent. So interestingly, they went and bought a property in Arthur Street, Ellerslie. The old um, uh, Freemasons place in okay. Arthur Street. Yeah. <laughs> That's got another whole story on its own. Yeah, and I once bet. they purchased that, it meant that they could actually establish their teaching. So I went to that college in the 80s. Uh, Linda Wharton was there a year ahead of me. So all of the people of that ilk were back there in the day and we were learning in the weekends because we had jobs and we were learning on weeknights. 
So there was no funding from the government. And if you wanted to be a naturopath, literally you got yourself along there to Ellerslie. That was the only place in New Zealand. And you and you learnt whatever they taught you. And of course, it was pretty much haphazard. You know, you might get yep. taught the same thing a second year in a row because there's a new teacher available. So it was very much um pulled together. But they actually worked with MIT in those days and they had an MIT tutor who would come and do the A and P for us. So, you know, they were really looking at how can we establish this as a as a you know good foundation for people who want to go out to practice naturopathy, considering there was never ever going to be any regulation. And even now, 2023, there is still no interest from the government whatsoever in any type of regulation of the herbalists and the naturopaths. So um, things haven't changed very much. And then 1991, uh, student loans became available for the college students. So all of a sudden, that not only opened up South Pacific College of Natural Medicine to having a lot more people come through without it costing an arm and a leg, and also they could leave their part-time or full-time roles and come in and you know throw themselves into the into the degree. And then about eight years later, the, the same um, principal who was there, she organized Charles Sturt over in New South Wales to provide four papers, which meant the diploma from the 80s was upgraded to a degree paper. So all of a sudden, naturopaths were getting degrees, which was kind of like, you know, scratching our head thinking, how did this happen? Come a long way. <laughs> Come a long way. But of course, with that degree status and also with the student loans, it meant that lots of things started to get cut out of the courses. You know, right. you can't teach that. That's not evidence-based. Mm, okay. Was you that know, a good thing? Well, there'll be a 50-50 split with what naturopaths will say. Some of them will say, of course, it was a good thing. We needed to come into the 21st century. Whereas others would say like, well, what about the dowsing? What about the bark flowers? You know, what about the touch for health? What about the kinesiology? All of those things that were part and parcel of what we looked at holistically. But, you know, for some people who were paying the student loans and, and ticking off how many students that particular, you know, facility was allowed to teach next year, yeah. that meant that they were limiting the numbers of students allowed. And, and that was in part and parcel, um, Paul, because when students finished, and this is still happening today, when students finish, there is no role for them to step into. Okay, so when, when a midwife finishes, when a social worker finishes, when a nurse finishes, all of those healthcare roles, as soon as they're finished with their degree, recognized by NCQA, they go into the health system, or if they're going into a private practice like a chiropractor or an osteopath, they're generally mentored or supervised or carried along by another group of experienced people. So with naturopathy and herbalism, that really just didn't happen. And so there's people literally who have graduated and they're finished, and they're really at the very beginning of their journey to learn about how clinical practice works and how you know networking works and how patients, you know, working with patient works, because the last thing we want that person to do is to become unwell because of the people that they're being, you know, working with and stressed with. So that hasn't changed much at all. So you're sort of going in with a on a wing and a prayer, sort of hoping that there's something you can find at the end of it well yes and i would say a very large amount of people that come in to do the course uh come in to look at their own health 
Okay. Huge proportion, you know, especially the person who's had terrible health. Um, they found that perhaps naturopathy, herbalism, you know, all of those sorts of things change their health. And they think, this is great. I'm going to go and learn to do that. It must be wonderful. They come out the other end and there's still not a huge sort of open arms ability for those students, those graduates to be absorbed into the very small group of naturopaths that are already working. So has it been seen as on the fringe all this time? And I suppose if you go right back to those early Cairo days, probably people walked past that premises and thought, oh, there's those people again. It, it, was, actually, it was actually the Red Seal shop. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because Bill Anderton, Jenny, Roger, Douglas, all of them, they all own Red Seal. Yeah, okay, right. <laughs> but nonetheless, there would have been that attitude. Oh, yes, yes. And, and why do you think that's never shaken sort of at the official sort of level? The establishment well, level. There could be two aspects to that. One of them would be that, let's say, a, a person who's following naturopathic principles, you know, they they might not colour their hair and, and, you know, put all sorts of body products on to make them smell lovely and they might prefer flat foot clothes, you know, footwear or, or bare feet um, so that, you know, their lymphatic system functions correctly without having tight trousers on and, you know, all the sorts of things that we think is normal. Whereas <laughs> yeah. where someone else looking in, they'll think, well, that's just nuts. You know, um, having your hair dyed or having, you know, skin lotion on or sunblock, for example, that's not harmful, is it? Surely, surely. Um, well, that, but course- that is the... That is the the um that that is the going off course bit from yeah normal natural yeah. default yeah so, so it actually is the unusual thing it is really. the unusual thing so so that would be one aspect of it and then the second aspect would be a distrust and almost a loathing of let's say pharmaceutical products. So it's yeah. not necessarily the Western system, you know, like you can still be a, a hippie naturopath and still go to A&E if you've broken a leg. Yeah, of course. You know, there's this yeah. idea that you can't, you know, that you should stay yeah. home with your comfrey. But in actual fact, it's it's the costing at the other end that, you know, the, the DHBs, let's say, are, are much more comfortable passing out medication, some of it which can be harmful. You know, that's Why would a, you be more comfortable doing that, though, when you can, and I've I've sort of seen it myself, unless I've been mistaken, that the results from the uh, other way, I mean, I, I don't know how you couch it from, uh, let's say, the uh, um, the natural medicine sort of approach, I mean, they can be very obvious and very real, and people will tell you about that. You'd think in the end the interest would just be in doing the best job on health and um mm. You don't need to have an industrial complex necessarily sitting behind that. No, no, you don't. I think it's I think it's our upbringing. So if we have been brought up to know that you know medicine comes from a syringe, and if you're sick, you go to this person and they fix you, and you don't have to do anything but they never do. in between. Never, never. No, that's the thing. They don't. So, actually- but- but if you're brought up in a family where there's something's if you hurt yourself really badly, you'll get arnica, you know. And yeah, if true. you yeah. and you know, like if you if you're really crook, then you might go to the osteopath and someone might take you to the um, you know, kinesiologist and you might go to the homeopath. So there's this kind of distrust of pharma, if you like, right from the beginnings with the people who do look at na- you know natural medicine, because it's like not only the distrust about 
its possible side effects, but also the concern around, well, even if it works properly the way it was prescribed, it can still be quite harmful. Yeah, um, because one of the things that um, really came became very obvious during the last three years is anything that threatened any sort of hesitancy or brought on any sort of hesitancy had to be smashed with a sledgehammer as soon as it appeared, right? Right. That that was the attitude. You just could never, ever have um, anyone having any hesitancy at all about it. It was like, you know, you know it was almost like a, a paranoia state against that. It was a black and white thinking. You know, they couldn't, no one could get into grey because they weren't allowed to go to grey. There was only two colours available. Yeah. You know, like no matter how much we in our heads think what was going on and how did that even get to that point, we know that there was no discussion and it wasn't even in New Zealand that these discussions were being held. We were outsourcing our decision-making. Dangerous, right? Chronic. Can you see a health system more and more in i mean is there going to be any sort of like come to jesus moment here for the medical establishment when when someone suddenly realizes hey wait on this is you know this has got to be part of the mix actually um can you ever see that moment happening i can't with the way things are run at the moment and and going back to how someone is brought up like even if they're really 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 unwell really unwell they have to be rock bottom before they'll consider natural medicine. That person who's been brought up in that Western-style paradigm of if anything happens, this is what you do. So, you know, like often people are starting with natural medicine at their absolute lowest too because right. no one else has been able to do anything. Yeah. So um, the people going into it, they're very, very much empaths, unfortunately, because they, they're not business people, but they go into it with their hearts, they go into it to make a difference. And so going into the colleges to learning that, not only do they learn you know, how to do those things, but they often improve their own health, ideally, um, although some students can get unwell in the third year because they're so busy and stressed with dealing with other people. Yeah, you know, yeah. like the, the irony, of course, is, you know, you, you finish college and you're exhausted, <laughs> but yeah. you've, you know, you've completed your, your health degree. So I think that's part and parcel, again, with, you know, like midwifery and, and nursing and all of those other high-pressure type health areas. What about um, qualifications that uh, you can pick up here? Uh, are they applicable and valued? They have credibility overseas. They do. And um, the associations that support the practitioners here, and there's several of those, you know, regarding each area of, of health, um, they have, let's say, partners or similar groups in Australia that I know of, not so much anything beyond Australia. And there was a time with, you know, lining up the degrees and the diplomas and all the sort of prior learning where they were trying to establish partners further in Australia. So it could be a given that if you had a degree from New Zealand, NZQA stamped that it was actually um, something that you could be transferable with overseas, but not a big part of it. Right. So how many practitioners are there in the country then? Is there any way of knowing? Can you ballpark it? I could say perhaps under 500. Right. Okay. Um, but that would be two associations only that I'm mentioning. So one is the New Zealand, uh, one is the, Medical Herbalist Association of New Zealand. So that's the group that I belong to. Yep. And then there's the Naturopathic and Medical Herbalists New Zealand. So that's a, a group that came out of the first. 
Um, and then there's, of course, you know, osteopathic and chiro associations and all of those different groups. So I'm not counting them. But within those two groups, there's about 250 in one and perhaps two or 300 in the second one. Um, there's a bit of an overlap. Some are the both the same people in same groups. Um, but they're the people who have, you know, um, regulated themselves through their association by doing continuing hours and, you know, um, talking to other practitioners, case discussion, that type of thing to keep their practice alive and moving. Yeah. Yeah. So so what countries, what parts of the world really um, exemplify this approach? I guess I'm, I'm thinking of China and what, and India and, and cultures like that. Yeah. Uh, even in Europe, I believe, is it's pretty strong. Is that right? Well, it is. So there's Ayurvedic medicine that's come yep. from India. And, and Well Park was a very, very big um, provider of Ayurvedic medicine in New Zealand, you know, with Phil's links to India. Um, there's also huge traditional Chinese medicine um, focus, of course, in China. But we've got a huge um, college in Ellerslie as well, just up in Great South Road. And so they've been teaching there for years and years as well. Similar problems with NZQA that I'm aware of, you know, like not quite meeting the, the mark with what is required. And that's that's pretty much, you know, what's happened with, with Well Park, if we're all honest. It's like things happened there, but also they weren't making the mark um, consistently like some of the other colleges were. And that's often to do with um, leadership, but also good planning, you know, like just delegating those jobs to be done so that when the, you know, the audit happens every two or three years, you're ready for the audit. And so right. if you're not ready for the audit, you know, then it starts to go downhill. Has that, has that been the problem? The audit? Uh, well, every time there's an audit, um, you know, that will be classified as a, um, a giving it one status, category one or category two. Um, so if you get consistently two category, you know, you get looked into a little bit more often. So it wasn't, you know, just one thing that happened with Well Park. It was over a long period of time. Um, you know, I know Phil Cottingham from when he was at South Pacific College of Natural Medicine. Mm, yeah. You know, he worked there. He was one of our tutors. And then he went off to join to create Well Park so that it had a different leaning to it. It had the Ayurvedic, had lots more yoga and it had lots more massage and body work. So that's how the original sort of move happened was um, it became an extramural college out of the South Pacific and then in its own rights and its own capacity became a level one provider of a natural medicine degree. So anyone thinking about, um, well, a career, can you make a career in this? Well, you have to be di <laughs> diversified. Yeah. Um, so I've been, you know, for 40 years, for 40 years this is what I've been doing. Um, and I have diversified of late. Oh, yeah. um, and I yeah. believe we might talk about that at another interview at another time, because, you know, to, to diversify, whether it be teaching or running classes or creating community workshops or, you know, providing, um, you know, large groups of people with, you know, one piece of information so that they can all learn together. So it's not just all coming from the source. Yeah. Know, there's a lot of ways to, to you know, run a practice. Um, but most people will not be successful in running a practice and very few will ask for help in another practice because that practice is busy enough anyway. So um, so what does it take to to successfully run a practice then, do you think? 
Well, empathy would be one part of that that I mentioned. Um, and, and a business sense of things like not be giving and gifting and handing away for free, right. which does happen a lot. It's a, it's, you're making a living. You're making a living. And I think for us, when we were at college and, and one of the courses that I taught when I was there was massage. And so that meant, Paul, that people had to come into your clinic. Yeah, you know, hands on. You 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 were there. You were able to not only see and and touch and see what their skin was like, but you were able to then build that into the practice of what you were you know doing with them. You know, in another matter. Um, and I think that as slowly as the massage started to move from the practice, and it is getting less and less in the naturopathic center. Why, why is that? I don't know. Some students don't like to do massage. Some student. Some people don't like to touch other people. Because there's a lot in touch, isn't there? So much, so much information about, you know, from them when they walk into the room to when they dress and leave the room, yeah. um, so much information. And it's such a, I'd have to say it's such a skill to be able to provide that normalcy for someone to come in and disrobe and, and, and be vulnerable and then yeah. have their body, you know, worked on, especially this day and age, you have to be so careful. Whereas, you know, when we taught massage back in the 80s, it was a lot more relaxed and liberal I can tell you that yeah so um yeah I think people nowadays um might, might see a naturopath or a herbalist as more of you know let's say a pseudo doctor and we're not you yeah. know like there are some incredible naturopaths that use you know uh, genome testing dutch testing you know um 23andme testing really complicated stuff and they bring into their practice some of them are providing a far, far superior service to any GP. Yeah, you know that's the top echelon. There's, there's probably, there's probably a dozen of them. Are there more GPs um, taking on board this kind of knowledge to, well, to mix with their already sort of establishment training that they've already received? I'm sure that there are. I don't know what the numbers are, um, yeah. but you know, GPs, let's say. And not to offend anyone, but if they see the light and they see that it's not all what, you know, that they've been brought up and then indoctrinated with at, at medical school, they might turn into an integrated doctor. Right. Okay. So I don't know what that means, whether it means that they pull in that empathy, empathy, you know, whether they bring in, you know, enjoy love and working with their patients again, or whether they become someone who integrates some yoga yoga, meditation, and mindfulness into their GP practice. You know, so it's kind of like each person practices differently. Each person knows whether they're holistic or whether they're integrative or whether they've got access to testing and mm. at the same time have that, you know, hands-on approach, you know, with a with a one-to-one -one conversation. How much of, how, how big a part does mental health have to play in actual physical health? You must have um, you must have thought about this quite a bit and seen this. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, um, as far as teaching goes, that's certainly um, an area that most colleges keep well away from yeah. the mental health. But in terms of a practice and um, dealing with people coming through yeah. the door, well, what what I have found with some people, and this is anecdotal, is that some people who have a great deal of mental distress, often their physical body is well. You know, they as well. Their eczema clears, their chest clears, their physical body almost sort of like, we don't have time for everything to be out of whack. Oh, and okay. so their mental health, you know, um, 
you know, possibly, you know, down cycles with whatever's going on. When their mental health is well, and whether they're taking medication or, or they've just improved it with various other tools, then it can be that their physical health, like their eczema, their asthma, and their aches and pains can resolve again. Now, that's not everybody, yeah. but it's almost as if the body knows that there's only so much we can cope with at the moment, and we'll... We'll, you know, we'll work on the most important, which could be mental health in that situation. And it's almost like there's not enough energy to even worry about what else is going on with the body. Um, you know, there's not too many chronically mentally unwell people, you think about it yourself, who have a lot of physical That's interesting. issues. Unless it's something like they've, you know, fractured their back or, um, you know, had a fracture or some sort of physical pain like that, yeah. like a trauma. Yeah. No, I'm thinking of like um, bodily organs affected by the mental state. But well, uh, the liver. The liver would be the main body organ, you know, concerned with with worry and stress. Right. Um, you know, uh, our Vedic will talk about that the kidneys, anything to do with fear. You know, you think if you really get a big fright, you know, you can pee your pants. Yeah. Yeah, you know, let's and, go. And, right. <laughs> and if your if your liver's not coping because of major stress, and perhaps alcohol helps relieve the stress, that means you can get to sleep. So then you've got you know liver enzymes that are sort of not coping very well. So certainly people can get themselves into a right um, turmoil if yeah. they don't know how to identify themselves what's going on. So going back to how you brought up. If you're brought up with like, well, what's wrong? Well, you tell me. Well, where does it hurt? Well, how are you going to fix it? Well, let's go to the cupboard and pull some stuff out. Yeah, You know, that's quite separate to, you know, go along and sit in a room with a person you don't remember and you don't know. They're going to give your mother a piece of paper. You're going to see the pharmacy. You're going to go home, say, take something disgusting, and you don't have to worry about eating your vegetables or anything like that. Just carry on with the plan. Well, that, that's that's it's it's like instant gratification, isn't it? It's yeah, yeah. And, with, and, uh, psychologically, I'm sure that has a sort of like a, a kind of um, uh, placebo effect, even that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's a fine line too, you know, with being a, a, a let's say, a hippie mum or, you know, whatever. I think, what are they called? Hippie there is a term. No, there's another term. I think it's like, I can't remember. I don't want to put, put the wrong term out there. But, you know, like some of those mums, you know, they will do everything natural. And and sometimes it's like, actually, you might need to have antibiotics. Yeah. You know, so and don't, that's, don't, that's don't difficult too, for too that person. Either way, yeah, because yeah. and then you've got the other person who like, well, you know, you've, you're in hospital and ICU. I really think you should have a dose of Arnica. Oh, okay. You know, like there, there is a spectrum, isn't there, for like yeah. you can actually have it all. You don't have to be separate and say I only do this and I only do that. Yeah. Most people you talk to, even if they follow Western medicine and see their GP regularly, most of them will tell you that they take something, even if it's chamomile tea, that yeah. they would consider to be a natural medicine. And so yeah. that's why New Zealand will be stepping up soon because otherwise their natural medicine access will be lessened. When you say step up soon, just what do you mean by um, that? I guess the general public, like if you want to be able to buy your products, good yeah. quality products, then bringing them in from overseas or or buying them from a big fancy um, health um, health shop, you know, franchise that's one way of doing it you know but but buying products that that people are making themselves you know like food grade products products that anyone could pay at a um 
you know, like farmer's market for. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's still as helpful, we know it is, as other products, and yet we've got this idea that we want to bolster up, you know, the system that we already know doesn't work. It's already failing us. So when I say step up, I say put your money where your mouth is. If you want to buy natural products, then, you know, source them and buy them and have them at the at the person who's, you know, the farm gate kind of thing because, you know, less um, centralisation of all of these products means um, less control over if someone wants to either tax them or just simply remove them from that shop. It's interesting when the government in the budget announced that the prescription fee of $5 would be waived. You know, they announced that. And I saw a lot of social media posts saying, oh, great, that means my dad or my auntie or something could save is going to save $100 a month. And I'm thinking, you're taking 20 medications a month? But that's what people are doing. Yeah, Huge quantities, well, vast quantities. Yeah. Sometimes they say things like, oh, no one told me. No one said I could do something different. It's like mm. I always say it's like going to wins. You've got to know the questions you want to ask before you get there. Yeah. You know, like if you don't go into your doctor, if you don't go into your naturopath, if you don't go into your health shop, knowing what it is that you've gone in for and then having your conversation, whatever it is, making, you know, that old-fashioned thing called an informed choice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then, you know, deciding on the course of action. It might be you take the antibiotics, you get the probiotics from the health food shop, you grab some arnica, and you're happy with it, yeah. whatever, you know, whatever's happened. Anything more to say before we end our chat? No, I think that's um, probably all we're going to do for today and um, appreciate you getting me on. I hope it's filled in some gaps regarding what's happened with Well Park. There might be other people who have taught at Well Park who would want to say something, but, I mean, I I don't work there, so I can pretty much Fair enough. say what I want. I was interested to hear about the that early history because I've only recently finished living in Auckland and I've walked up and down. Yeah, that will, and, and that's a point. People can't see it um, because we don't have video, but you're holding up. What's that book you're holding up? It's called Therapeutics to Medicine. So it started as a therapeutics college and it moved into medicine. Um, a history of the South Pacific College of Natural Medicine. It was pub self-published in 2013 through the college. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, I know a bit more about K Road now. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for uh, joining us, Erin uh, Hudson, and speaking about that is really interesting. Good. All right, then. Lovely. Thank you. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.